Hello, and welcome to the Salem at Home podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. We are uh, in a series where I'm trying to help us discover what it means to have an everyday faith. And in order to have an everyday faith, you have to start examining the ways in which God engages with you in both what you would describe normally as spiritual and in unspiritual things. And I think far too often we focus just on those limited blocks of time in which we would experience what would be so-called spiritual. Now, I don't generally say there's this dramatic difference between the two, but for the sake of this sermon series, I want to kind of you know, exaggerate the difference between the two and say, hey, one hour a week we do spiritual things, but what about the 167 other hours of your week? What do you do there? to say that you're a Christian, to say that we're living and breathing and acting as people of faith. And so I'm trying to work through some very specific practices that can help us in this way. And last week I talked about getting lost. We got kids lost this week. Some of you got lost. Um, And in in that story, we discovered that Abraham, this was the very first spiritual practice of his life. He got lost. And every time he got lost, he was able to see God in the midst of getting lost, and then he was able to honor God by building an altar on the other side of that. And this week, I want to I wanna kind of drift away from Abraham for just a minute, and I want to go to the very first thing in Scripture that God calls holy. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And what God calls holy very, very early on in Genesis chapter 2 is saying no. Say that with me. Say one, two, three, No. I know that's a hard word to say. Now, for me as a kid, I was reminded of this this week. Andrew graduated from pre-K, and uh, my mom came down. My my in-laws came down. We had a good time. But my mom was able to remind me that when I was a child a little bit younger than Andrew, my favorite word in the world was, guess what it was? No. Yeah. Sam, do you want to go outside? No. Sam, do you want to stay inside? No. Sam, do you want to go to bed? No. Sam, do you want to get up? No. Sam, do you want to do anything? No, absolutely not. No was my favorite word in all the world. But and does anybody have that story? Have a kid or something like that? You know that kid? Uh, so for me, though, that's not the case now. No is not my favorite word in the world, right? I'm, I, I'm ashamed to say, or maybe proud to say, that I much rather would say yes at this point in my life. Yes is this simple, single-syllable word that when you say it and offer it to someone else, it can start to unlock all kinds of doors in your life. It starts to release all kinds of possibilities for your future and where you might go in the future. And, you know, sometimes, even though it would feel wrong to say no, sometimes you might have that experience. Sometimes it may feel like I'm lazy to say no, and and so I would prefer to say yes. Sometimes it feels like I'll miss out on something. You know, I've got like the fear of missing out syndrome that goes around. Sometimes that's why I would rather not say no. Sometimes I worry that you won't like me if I say no, right? that you'll think less of me if I say no. And so I would prefer to say yes. And yes is an easy word. Yes, I want that job. Yes, I'll marry you. Yes, I want to be baptized. Yes, absolutely, you can take my kids for a weekend. Yes, you want to kick my husband out of the house for the night? I'll take it, right? I mean, yes, is just it just rolls off the tongue. Yes is a really easy word to say. And when we say it, there's an action on the other side of it that promises some brightness to our future. There's some sort of pleasantry on the other side of saying yes, and we want to lean into that over and over again. And here's here's one of the reasons why I think we say yes so often. At least part of saying yes in life is soaking in the pleasure of knowing that somebody else wants you. Yes, I'll take that job. 
you want me. You think I'm great, right? You think I'm perfect. Yes, I'll say yes to you. I'll go out with you. I'll, I'll be a part of your life. Yes. You see something in me that maybe I don't even see in myself. You, you by offering me the, the opportunity to say yes, and me, by taking the opportunity to say yes, will add value and meaning to my life. And so, yes, saying yes adds a fuller and fuller and fuller sense of identity. And so, yes, I'll develop more relationships, right? Because by saying yes, I do develop more relationships and I expand my identity even more. By saying yes, I can walk into a new door, into a new room. By saying yes, I can create a future that I didn't think I could have or that wasn't possible for me. And in the world that we live in, we get all kinds of chances to say yes. Right? This is the world in which we can touch base. Some of you can touch base with, with uh, friends that you haven't seen in 30 years because they just looked you up online. They were creeping you out one day, right? And they, they found you, and you can say yes to a renewed relationship with them. This is the world we live in where we can say yes to political action groups who really need our signature on that ballot, right? If we'll just put our signature down. If we'll just add our name to the list of this petition, they need us to say yes, and we can be part of making a difference in the world. In fact, you don't even have to say yes all the time. Amazon.com does a great job of seeing what you've already said yes to, and then they follow up by telling you what you want to say yes to. All right? Or they listen to your conversations in the room, and then later you open up a Facebook and you see the ad there. Right? You get the opportunity to say yes to exactly what you want to say yes to all the time, even if you didn't know you wanted to say yes to it, because this is going to add oh so much more meaning to your life. You just couldn't live without having that. And here's, here's what I discovered. We say yes to a lot of things in our lives. And you know why I've, uh, well, let me say it this way. I've said yes to a lot of things in my life. And you know why I've said yes to a lot of things in my life? Because I wanted more opportunities in life. I wanted more opportunities to lie before me. And what I translated that to, and I have the, the sneaky assumption that some of you do this as well, we want more opportunities in life because having more opportunities makes us feel more important. Having more opportunities in front of us makes me feel like more people love me. Because I'm good at making things, because I'm good at doing things, and people want me to do that for them. They want me to be a part of that. And so saying yes over and over again creates this inflated sense of who we are. But here's the reality behind this. Our chronic obsession with saying yes is ultimately grounded in our endless pursuit of meaning. It's not going to come to an end. There's not going to be a yes that we can offer that would ultimately end all things. I want my life to be meaningful. I want my life to be full of purpose. I want to live a life that is magical and beautiful and all those things. So I will work to create it with every single yes that I say, but it's always an endless pursuit. It never ends. It just keeps going and going and going. And even though this is a common temptation that probably lies before every single person who's here or who's watching online, it's not a path in life that leads to ultimate meaning and purpose. It won't ever come to an end. There won't be one more yes that you can say. It's just a path that leads to perpetual pursuit of some unending goal in your life. It never ends. You always want to seek that fulfillment. You always want to try and say one more yes to get it. And so that's why no is so important. That's why that word in your life is one of the most important words that you can offer. As my father-in-law used to say to my wife all the time growing up, no is just as good a word as yes, right? It is, and it's just as valuable in our lives as the yes. And it's, that, and, and it's for this reason that God embedded into the regular rotation of life a holy no. As I said earlier, no is the very first thing that God ever called holy. He said that this thing is the holy thing amongst you. 
In Genesis chapter 2, we see this on the other side of God saying a lot of yeses. Genesis chapter 1, God said yes to everything. Let there be day. Yeah, sure, let's do that. Let there be night. Yeah, sure, let's do that. Let there be, you know, sun and moon and stars in the sky. Yeah, sure, why not? Yes, let there be vegetation and plants and water and ground. Yes, let there be fish animals and let there be birds and let there be ground animals. Let there be all of these things. Yes, I'll even say yes to you. He hesitated a little bit with the platypus, but he still said yes to it, right? He promised, he said yes to all of these different things. And then at the end of saying yes, in Genesis chapter 2, we get to this place where God pauses and he says no. He says no, not today. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, this is exactly what it says. He kind of recaps what happened in, verse, in chapter 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array with all the things that God had said yes to. But the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Right? He looks around. He sees all the incredible work. He looks back at that platypus. He's like, I could do a little bit more work on that. I'm not going to do it. Right? He looks at Western North Carolina in the summer, and he's like, these people are going to drink soup when they step outside. I'm not going to fix it. That's just going to ha- be how it is. Like that's, you're just going to have to deal with the rigorous humidity of this area. He could have fixed any of these things, but on that day, he said no. Instead of saying yes one more time, no, I'm not going to. And not only did he say no, but here's, listen to what the author said in verse 3 of chapter 2. It says, then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it what? holy. He made this day, this this space in time, a holy place because on it he rested from creating, from all the work of creating that he had done. The first thing we see in scripture described as holy is the act of saying no. It's set apart time. It's time that's cut off from the rest of the week. It's sacred. It's it's precious. And the idea of sacred time of course, you know, for us in the church, as we're sitting here on Sunday morning, it kind of get codified into this hour right here. Right? Most of you, we, we have this understanding that if I just go to church, I'm, I'm honoring the Sabbath, I'm respecting that sacred time. And, if, you know, it might get expanded out a little bit from that because what it also means is that you come to church and then you go to Mammals to eat lunch, and then from there, you know, you don't cut the grass and you just probably take a nap in the afternoon. So there's, there's a whole ritual that goes into our Sunday reality. But this is how we assume that we are honoring and obeying and keeping the Sabbath holy. But I I much prefer, as Barbara Brown Taylor says, the practice of saying no instead of the practice of Sabbath keeping because we don't often say no in our church attendance on Sunday. In fact, the way we often view our church attendance on Sunday and the other things that we do, it's just one more thing that we have to say yes to in our schedule. It's just one more thing that we have to tap into. And so what we've done is we've actually just said, yes, I'll get up and get dressed and be here and make sure that the kids are all fed and we'll fight on the way to church, but it'll be fine when we get there. And I've said yes to all of these things instead of thinking back on what the central principle of this day being holy is, saying no. Allowing no to be that guiding principle in our life. That Sabbath practice is more about saying no so that you can remember, and this is key, you say no so that you can remember that you're already enough. You've already done enough. You, by being, are enough. And you can rest by saying no, realizing that you don't have to say yes to another thing to find meaning. We say no in our life, Because ultimately, God has already said yes to us. 
Know is holy in our life because it's that one place where we remember that my truest sense of purpose doesn't come from what I work at, but it comes from God. I don't have to form it. I don't have to create it. I don't have to manufacture it with my own hands. My purpose and meaning is already grounded in the fact that I am a creation of God. Know is holy because in that place I can find rest. And I can find rest in this place because I can trust that God is with me and for me. And I can be fully dependent upon God. I don't have to say yes to one more thing to make sure that everything's taken care of. I can rest knowing that God has me in God's hands. And no is holy because it's that one place where we find full freedom in life. We don't have to fight for it. We don't have to liberate ourselves from the bondage of work. We can find freedom in saying no because I'm loved, I'm valuable, I'm worthy in that place, and I'm precious in that place. So I can say no and I can still find fulfillment in all the work that I've done but I ultimately find my fulfillment in the fact that God has made me. And that's why every Jewish Sabbath, there's a practice at the beginning of the Shabbat meal that they serve on Friday night. They sit down, and at the table as they sit down together, they light two candles. And when they light these two candles at their table, they light one of them to remember their freedom, and they light one of them to remember their rest. And they sit here with this for just a few minutes to remember that the Shabbat is not about creating something else to go into your schedule. But it's ultimately to say no to life so that you can remember that God is the author of your rest and God is the author of your freedom. And I think these are the two things that we can remember in the practice of saying no. We say no in order to say yes to rest, and we say no in order to say yes to freedom in our lives. Remember how in Genesis chapter 2, it was stated in, in verse 3 there, then God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. And why did he make it holy? Because on it, he rested. That's why he made it holy. He rested in the middle of this space from all the work that he had been doing. It's in this space of self-inflicted limitation where you will say no to everything else that's around you, that you can find the rest that your body craves. You can find the rest that your body needs to survive another day. And, and what's interesting here is that rest is so often confused with laziness or sloth in our culture. Right? I don't want to rest. I don't want to just lay around on the couch all day. That would be considered lazy or slothful. In our yes culture, where we're always saying yes, we just feel guilty for that. We feel guilty for resting and sitting back. But rest is that thing that we do in our life, and here's the reason we do it. Because it declares that we have confidence in someone else to take care of us. It's that moment in your life where you can pause Pause your body, slow your heart rate, pause everything around you and declare, I'm going to pause because I trust that someone else is looking after me, is caring for me. I have a dependence that comes in the midst of saying no, and ultimately we hope that that dependence is on God, right? Ultimately we hope that we can rest back into God. And so many of us don't want this, and, and we don't want this for a couple of reasons. One of them I think we don't want, we don't want it because we really don't think that God is in control. But if you get down to it, it's like, no, I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to do all these things. I'm the one who's supposed to work for this. And so we have a really hard time believing that God is in control. But the other reason that we often don't rest or don't stop is because when we pause, we don't really like who we see ourselves to be when we pause. Right? It's in that place of rest where you have to come face to face with yourself in its most raw form. Not the self that produces, not the self that creates, but just the self who is. And we've not learned in that space to love ourselves enough to pause and to just be. 
And this is the reason that time and time again in Scripture we see that God pours His grace and love upon us freely to let us know that we are loved, to let us know that we are valuable. And I know this takes time, and I know it doesn't come overnight, and it's hard because, you know, if you don't trust that God's in control or if you don't like what you see, then you're not going to want to pause for just a few minutes. But we practice. And each day we practice a little more, and each, each week we practice a little more, and we try to make this a part of our lives, and we say no so that we can say yes to the rest that God wants for us. But ultimately, we not only say no so that we can say yes to uh, rest, but we also say no so that we can say yes to freedom. You know, this is, and I don't think we, we consider this enough, this verse here in Genesis chapter 2 where God rests gets codified and put into the law, and it's the fourth commandment out of the Big Ten. We all know that. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But we only remember that short person, portion of it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But the fourth commandment is actually the longest of all the commandments. And not only is it the longest of all the commandments that are listed there, but it's also one of the few commandments that tells you why you should do this. Let me read it to you. It's found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but I'm going to read it out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And this one kind of displays why you should do this. Starting in verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. You should do everything that you can. Don't, don't hesitate in working. That's a reality. You should still work. That should be a part of your life. We're going to talk, me and my wife, we're going to talk about work next week. So don't think that I'm telling you not to work. But he goes on in verse 14, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, and you shall do no work there. And then he gets specific as to who should not work. This is one of the most interesting parts to me. I mean, look at all the people he includes. You shouldn't work. Your son and your daughter shouldn't work, so don't get them out there mowing the lawn for you, right? You know, I mean, like, that's not a thing. Don't, don't do that. Don't get your son or your daughter. No, don't, don't pull in your male or your female slave. Don't even send your ox or your donkey out there on like a rope and just let them chew around. Just let them take a break, any of your livestock or the resident alien in your town. Don't like get them. Hey, you're passing through. Why don't you just swing by for a few minutes so that your male and your female slaves may rest as well as you. And here's the why behind all of it. Listen to why. Remember, he's talking to the Israelites on the other side of, of, of the wilderness. Remember that you were once a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember that you have been enslaved, and now you are a people of freedom. And he goes on and he says, Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the work of your hands possesses the greatest potential in your life for enslaving you. Is work necessary? Yes. And like I said, we'll get to that next week. But work is also that thing that you do in your life that has the greatest potential of enslaving you, of trapping you. Your career, your calling, your work in this area has the greatest, poses the greatest risk of enslaving you. And God doesn't want that type of life for you. He doesn't want you to live an enslaved life. He doesn't want us to be enslaved to anything. He's created us for freedom. And, and work, has, even though it has its place in your life, will pose that threat if you don't watch it carefully. So if you're not careful, your work will capture your heart. If you're not careful, your work can capture your mind and your body and ultimately your soul. And so you have to, in your life, create this room to say no. You have to be able to say no to it so that you can exercise the freedom that God has for you. So God has created you to be free. God has created you to have rest and confidence that he is always with you. 
And ultimately, God has created you as a valuable and wonderful creation. Before you ever, listen to me, before you ever produce a single thing in your life, you are valuable. You are wonderful. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, at least hear me right here. You were wonderfully created just as you are. From the moment that you were born, you were wonderfully and beautifully made in the image of God. Before you ever said your first yes, you were wonderfully and, when, and graciously created in the image of God. And you are so not for what you produce, but for who you are. Not for what you would produce, but for who you are. And you can say no, and I'm going to argue that you should say no. Not for what you create or form or make or any of those things. But you need to say no so that you can remind yourself of this every so often. You need to say no so that you can be reminded that I am beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And here's the reason why. Because I believe that you are God's handcrafted work of art, not because you've created something, but because he made you. That's what makes you the beautiful creation of God Almighty. Not because you've created something in this world and you've all created some amazing things. And that's a gift that God has given to you. But before each of those creations, you stand as an incredible, beautiful image of God. You know, Paul wanted to express this in, in the most dramatic way he could. And that's, that's why I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2 as we end today. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, he, he says one of the most profound things about our relationship with God that he ever said. He said, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's grace. We, we get this. We say this all the time. He goes, but this is not from yourselves. Right? It is the gift of God that God bestows this upon you. It's not by your works. It's not by what you produce. It's not by what you've created in this world. But it's what he has poured out upon you. And he does this so that no one can boast in what they've created. They, they can't boast in the yeses that they've said. And then he closes this out by saying, for we are God's handiwork. We are that artwork. And we're not that artwork for what we produce. We're that artwork because he's created us and graciously poured this upon us. And, and this is meaningful to us. But as I read this this week, I was reminded of the city of Ephesus and the, the Ephesians who probably first received this letter. Now, this was a group of people who, in the center of their life, sat one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. It was one of the most beautiful things that you'd ever seen. It was handcrafted by those who lived in Ephesus. They say if you walked up and down the streets of Ephesus, the houses looked like palaces everywhere you went. I mean, this is an amazing city where the city streets were paved not with, you know, like our pavement or our concrete. They were paved with marble. Imagine going up and down the street. I mean, I would not want to be out there when it rained, but that's another story. Right? But they're paved with marble. There's colonnades on all the sides of the streets as you go wherever you want. You could go to the restroom. Guess what your toilets are made out of? Marble. And this is amazing, right? I mean, you got hot water, you got cold water, you got people who are weaving this incredible cloth. And at the center of it all is this temple to the god Artemis. The mother God who pours out life on everyone who comes around her. And of course, this is one of the most magnificent things you've ever seen. And everyone in the town would have been proud of that, being a part of it. Why? Because they helped create it. This is the work of their hands that they produced. 
It was a culture where the God produced and the God blessed those who produced. It was a culture where people had this exchange that they were more in favor with God if they produced more and if they produced better. It was a culture where they found their value in what they made in the world, how much they created, how much they reproduced. And their only connection in this ancient city to a divine being was one that said to them, I can be connected with you if I continue to make good things, whether that's family or stuff. That's how I'm connected with you. And I'm convicted, I'm convinced, and I'll say this for myself as much as for anybody else, I'm convinced we're more enamored as a culture with the cult of Artemis than we are with the God of Sabbath. We're more enamored with a God who will receive us for how much we've produced than for just who we are. And it's right into the middle of this culture that Paul pins this letter down. He says, you know what, guys? I know you think it's based on what you produce. I know you think it's based on what you make. It's not. It's not any of those things. You are God's handiwork. You make some incredible things. I love your toilet, John. Like, you made an incredible marble toilet. It's beautiful. But you, you, my friend, are the beloved of God. And here, here's where the rubber hits the road. This is a practice for us. And you're not sitting in that practice right now. You're coming to church. But there's a space in your life where you need to start saying no. There's a space in your life, and it, and, and it would be great if it could be for a full 24-hour period where you sat down and you lit your Shabbat candles and you took off for 24 hours and said, I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm just going to rest and find freedom. That would be wonderful. But I know for some of us, that's not always possible. So maybe what it means is, is you get up an hour early in the morning and you don't turn anything on and you just sit in silence and meditate on God. Or you sit on your porch and you watch the beauty of God rest around you and you find your rest and your freedom. Or, or maybe it means you turn off your electronic devices an hour early at night and you rest out under the stars and you see God's beautiful creation around you. I don't know where you can find this practice start to bubble up in your life, but I want to encourage you today to make some room in your life, even if for just an hour, to say no, to find rest and to find freedom, and to do that deliberately. And, and I'm, you know, I've, I've used myself this morning <laughs> an awful lot because I do struggle with this. I made a post earlier this week as I was writing the sermon said, God's going to need to help me learn how to say no this week. And I think I made that post on Monday and... That same day, I had a conversation with somebody from our district office, and she called. She said, I'm so sorry, is this your Sabbath day? And I said, no, I don't, I don't typically take my Sabbath on Monday. I try to do it on Friday. Uh, and then we both laughed. And we laughed because I was like, I typically try to take it on Friday, <laughs> knowing very well that that doesn't always happen. Most often doesn't happen. And on Friday, as I was finishing this sermon, I'm sitting there, and my son continues to come to me and wants to go camping or wants to go playing. I'm like, I just have a little bit more to do. I have a little bit more to do. And again, I hear the Spirit of God. And when are you going to say no? When are you going to just rest in that no for a while? And so I don't preach this morning from a space where I'm like, I've got it all together and I say no every week. That's not it at all. I speak from a place where I know the value of saying no. And I want to do everything I can to practice this discipline every week of my life. And it's not easy. It doesn't come overnight. 
but it's something that we together as the community of faith can hold each other accountable to. And as a community of faith, we can encourage each other to do it. Because it's not in what you make. It's not in what you produce. But it's in who you are as a handcrafted image of God. As we close today, Justin and the band is going to sing one song for us. And you're welcome to go during this song. That's fine if you want to. But if you'd like to stay, it's a song that helps me remember all the time. When I want to move and when I want to do, I can rest back and just say it as well. It's well, just as it is. Just as I find myself right now. And so I encourage you to either stay in this moment and worship or go and maybe say no to something outside these doors today. But either way, let's start learning how to say no more and more in our lives. Would you stand with me this morning? God, we thank you for the opportunity to say no. You have said yes to us time and time and time again. And you've given us the ability, the great, incredible ability to say yes to so many beautiful things. But God, so that we can remember who we are and how we were created and how beautifully we are created, help us to say no. And in saying no, find rest. And in saying no, find freedom. And in saying no, find that we are beautiful creations of God Almighty. And truly it is well with our soul as we rest with you this day every day.